Acts chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 to 16, where uh, a lame beggar gets healed by Jesus through the apostles. So let's listen to uh, the word of the Lord now, beginning in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. As he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raising him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses." And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this record of the power of Jesus working through the apostles. And we know that the same power is available to us. Nothing has changed with Jesus. We pray we would draw from strength from His power today that we may be able to do the ministries that You have entrusted to us and that Christ may be glorified through our words. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's been a couple of weeks, so what I want to do is connect this passage with with what's gone on before. Uh, It's always beneficial to uh, keep things in context, to to see the larger message, especially in a book like Acts here. And the first thing we need to remember is that Acts is all about what Jesus continues to do and teach. Okay, remember that the Gospel of Luke is part one, Jesus' ministry on earth. And The book of Acts is part two, Jesus' ministry from heaven. And uh, we need to read the the healing here in in that context. Also, Luke forms a sharp 
contrast between Jesus' new temple, the church, uh, with, with the old system under the Jewish authorities. Basically, over the next few chapters, we're going to see two temples collide. Uh, one that opposes the other. Um, and anyway, what, what, what we got at the end of chapter 2 you know, ended with this amazing snapshot of the new t- temple, the church. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're manifesting the power of God. They're, they're selling their stuff to meet each other's needs. Uh, but here's a lame man who daily sits at the temple gate of all places and begs for money. Who's meeting his needs? Who's bringing him into the presence of God? Well, it's not the Jewish authorities behind the beautiful gate. It's the apostles who bring him the presence and power of God in Christ. And Luke is drawing out the reader here. Which temple do you want to be part of? Is it the one that lets needs persist and excludes the weak from the presence of God? Or is it the one that meets needs and brings the weak and the broken into the presence of God through Christ? And something else is that Luke mentioned in chapter 2, verse 43, that that many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, apostles, many of them. But in chapter 3, we get Luke kind of focusing in on, on one in particular, one sign. And uh, it kind of it, it clarifies how the sign, how all the signs functioned uh, in Acts um, that the church performs. Uh, while not a necessary component of the gospel, the signs do function as one concrete expression of the gospel the apostles preached. Okay, they preached the gospel of the kingdom of God coming on earth through Jesus Christ. But the blessings of that future kingdom. Uh, so break into the present that people get foretastes of the holistic liberation Jesus will bring, not just for the soul, but for our bodies as well. So let's see this playing out now by looking again at the, the healing Jesus performs through the apostles. He's gonna, we're going to kind of get the same thing where, like we got in chapter 2 where we get the event of the Spirit's coming and then Peter explains what's going on here. We're getting the event of the, the healings uh, and then Peter's going to explain what's going on. So the healing performs through the apostles. Peter and John head up to the temple to pray. In verse 1, they notice this man begging for money. Later we find out uh, and at the end of chapter 4, that he was over 40 years old. So Luke is really stressing the state of his helplessness. He was lame from birth. He didn't run around with other kids and play ball. His disability is, is such that they have to carry him everywhere. He obviously can't work. He asked Peter and John for money. And here's where it all begins. Peter directs his gaze at the man, as did John, and says, Look at us. And for all he knew, Peter and John were about to give him some change. You can imagine the disappointment at the first half of Peter's words. I have no silver and gold. You know, what? Like, what good are you? Peter doesn't have any money, but that doesn't mean he can't help the man. He knows the power of Jesus. So Peter gives him more than he expects. But what I do have, he says, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth... 
Rise up and walk. What a remarkable thing to say to a, a lame man. You, you do what you lack the ability to do. Rise up and walk. That's the way God works, doesn't he? He commands us to do what we cannot do in our helpless state. And then he gives what we need to do it so that in the end he gets the praise. So Peter takes him by the right hand and raises him up and immediately his feet and ankles are made strong, it says. And leaping, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So his helpless condition gets totally reversed and it results in praise and joy to God. But notice what made all the difference between the the lame man's state of helplessness and his total healing. Right in between there is this phrase, in the name of Jesus Christ. That's not intended to be a magical formula that guarantees healing. It's not the pronunciation of Jesus that heals. It's Jesus who heals by the authority he possesses and chooses to use according to his wisdom. We're not told how Peter and John knew that Jesus wanted to heal this man. Only that Jesus uses them to heal him. We can discern that this healing parallels actually the the way Jesus healed the lame during his earthly ministry. Some of us could think of the paralytic. Take up your bed and go home. In that sense, Luke is giving us a little hint that Jesus' ministry must not have stopped once he returned to glory. He, He was still working through the church. The fullness of what that means, though, comes out as we read Peter's response to the crowds. The the healing wasn't simply to to give this man a better life. It wasn't to establish a healing crusade. Like other signs in Jesus' ministry, it points to so much more that Jesus did, is doing, and will do for his kingdom. So, we've seen the healing itself. Let's look now at Peter's explanation of the healing in some The healing shows that God glorified His servant, Jesus. God glorified His servant, Jesus. The healing produces this massive response. You know, it wasn't a secret. How does a lame man of 40 years, people have been seeing him for 40 years, get up and leap? Not just scoot around, go see a physical therapist for a while. No, he gets up immediately and leaps. And all these people see what's going on. They run to Peter and John. Immediately the the apostles turn the glory to Jesus. In verse 12, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? My kids have this book called Fool Moon Rising. Fool, F-O-O-L. Fool. Moon rising. And the point of the book is to, sh- is to show how foolish it would be for the moon to boast in its own light. When in fact its light comes from the sun. The moon should point others to the sun, the true source of its light. That's what the apostles are doing here. Don't look at us. Don't talk about our power. Don't talk about our godliness being the cause of this man's healing. There's one explanation. 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, he's linking, hey, this one that's been working in the Exodus and working through David and work this God, he glorified his servant Jesus. The healing of the man in Jesus' name is evidence that God glorified his servant Jesus. That's the main argument. But how does Peter exactly get there? Well, several clues suggest he's getting it from the way Jesus fulfills the kingdom promises in Isaiah. In Isaiah. So what we're going to do is we're going to establish the connections between this passage and some prophecies in Isaiah and see how those are playing out through Jesus and the church here. So we already flew by one connection. Notice that the lame man leaps and praises God in verse 8. A lame man leaping. That's our first clue. Turn with me to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, we're going to look at verses 5 and 6. You know, Israel is in a desperate state. God's curses have fallen. And in the midst of their helpless condition, God gives them a future hope. His glory is going to come. Verse 2, he will save them. Verse 4 says, uh, eventually he'll turn their desert into a garden paradise where holiness prevails and the ransom finally return with joy and gladness. That's verses 8 and 10. But part of that salvation includes verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer. In other words, when God brings his final salvation, the broken world as we know it will experience a divine reversal. Okay, everything that's broken will be made new. Deserts become streams. The deaf hear. The lame will leap. There's a lame man leaping in Acts 3. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. The the point I want you to see here from Isaiah is that God's future kingdom would reverse the brokenness. It would bring wholeness and healing for His covenant people. The, The images anticipate the new creation. Another connection. You can stay in Isaiah. Turn with me to Isaiah 52. Another connection is the titles Peter gives to Jesus in Acts 3. He calls him the servant that God glorified. And he calls him the holy and righteous one. Okay, these come from the suffering servant passage in Isaiah 52 and 53. Look with me first at at chapter 52, verse 13. He says, Behold, my servant... There's one title. My servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted or glorified. It's the same word that Peter uses. 
We have the glorified servant there in Isaiah 52, 13. Only God and his temple mount get described this way in Isaiah. God is the one who is high and lifted up and exalted. And yet here, Isaiah is applying it to the servant. The servant will be exalted, glorified as God himself is. Uh, Then we get this in Isaiah 53, verse 11. Isaiah 53, verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So again, Peter calls him the righteous one here, Isaiah The righteous one, my servant. So so God will glorify his servant by lifting him up when he gives himself for our sins and makes many to be accounted righteous. So our sins on him, his righteousness on us, servant gets glorified. Peter announces that Jesus is the servant of Isaiah 52 And 53, Jesus gave his life as this kind of substitute. He is the only righteous one. And Pilate, even Pilate testified to that, Peter is explaining to them. He he didn't have any, he couldn't find anything uh, in Jesus. He couldn't find any fault. He wanted to release Jesus. But he says, you denied him in the presence of Pilate and you killed the author of life. Jesus is the suffering servant. The righteous one died for the unrighteous, like us, that we might gain his righteousness before God. That's another connection here with Isaiah 52 and 53. But why would a passage like Isaiah 53 on the suffering servant, why is that so important to Peter in relation to to the lame man leaping? Because part of the servant's work was to carry away our illnesses by dealing with the main cause behind our illnesses, namely sin. Sin. All illness, all brokenness, all death is caused by sin, whether directly or indirectly. The world is broken. God broke the world in response to sin. And in order to redeem the world from illness, sin must first be conquered. Now I want you to look in Isaiah 53 at verses 4 and 5. Because this is a crucial connection to understand what's going on with Peter preaching the glorified servant. Isaiah 53, verse 4, the ESV has, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, we're going to look at it in a minute, but Matthew's gospel translates verse 4 like this. Surely he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Part of the servant's work is to carry away our illnesses. But the way he does that comes in verse 5. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our 
iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Total healing is possible only when God deals with sin. Matthew uses this passage to connect Jesus' atoning death with Jesus' healing ministry. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. This is after Jesus uh, cleanses a leper and cleanses uh, the centurion's servant. And then in verse... uh, and, and also Peter's mother-in-law. And then in verse 16 of Matthew 8, he says, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. And then verse 17, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So he's quoting Isaiah 53, verse 4 there. In other words, Jesus' healing ministry must be viewed with the cross before him. Matthew 1 says he came to save us from our sins. And here we see this. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Matthew is connecting these themes. If you're going to be healed from sick illness and, and diseases, you got to be, sin's got to be dealt with. The cross is before Jesus while he's doing all these healings. The church's healing ministry must be viewed with the cross behind them. Whether we're looking at Jesus' healing ministry in the Gospels or the church's healing ministry in Acts, the cross stands at the center. Healing is saying is but one fruit of Jesus' atoning death. By dealing with our sin, God wins for his people not only forgiven souls, but eventually healed bodies as well. Now, I want to put the pieces together from Isaiah 35 and where we've been. So Isaiah 35 promised that God's future kingdom would bring for his people a divine reversal. The lame are going to leap like the deer. Wholeness and healing will characterize the coming kingdom. But Isaiah 53 shows that that couldn't happen unless the cause of all brokenness was taken away first, namely our sin. Your greatest problem and my greatest problem isn't a bad day at work. It's not a wayward husband. It's not a broken bone. It's not headaches, cancer, and chemo. It's not even death. Our greatest problem is the sin behind it all. Listen, God sent His Son into the world to deal with that greatest problem. He died for our sins on the cross to pay the penalty that our sin deserved, to satisfy God's wrath, to carry away all our sorrows that that sin causes, and then to bring us to God clothed in the righteousness of the servant himself, Jesus Christ. Jesus died to do that for us. And then Peter is saying that God also raised him from the dead and he glorified his servant to his right hand. Peter's preaching in Acts is saying, look, you see that man over there leaping for joy? That means God glorified his servant. That means Jesus' atoning work is for real. 
That means his death truly brings life. That means his resurrection vindicated him as king. That means Jesus is reigning in heaven. He's not dead. He's still healing people all, with all power and authority. He's giving, he's giving them new life and giving you, Israel, a little glimpse of what his kingdom is about. The lame leaping for joy. The broken becoming healed. The outcast being brought into God's presence. No sin marring anything. Hearts rejoicing. Bodies healed. Don't look at us, he says. Look at Christ, the glorified one. And that's where he goes next in verse 16. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. He's very clear. Jesus' name made this man strong. Jesus' name being all that Jesus is and stands for in his authority at God's right hand. Jesus' name made this man strong. Yes, he adds by faith in his name. The healing involves trust. But even that faith was a gift. He calls it The faith that is through Jesus. Jesus gave it to him. All the credit belongs to Jesus. Even the credit for the faith involved. The focus isn't on the amount of faith they had. But on Christ who healed through the faith they did have. And this faith stands in direct contrast to the unbelief of those who killed the author of life. You see that in verse 15. They killed the author of life. That's what unbelief does. Unbelief kills the author of life. You you want to see the insanity of our unbelief? Here's a picture of it right here. They traded a healer for a murderer. They traded a life giver for a life taker. Our unbelief, all of it, is suicidal. If you oppose Jesus, you oppose life. If you oppose Jesus, you oppose justice. Worst of all, if you oppose Jesus, you oppose God, your maker. How does Peter know that? Because God glorified his servant, Jesus. So there's an implicit appeal in this, isn't there? We're going to talk about... Next week, how he's calling these people to repentance after preaching. But there's an appeal right here in this text that if God raised and glorified his servant and through him brought just a little foretaste of the kingdom to come, then where does that put you? That's the idea. What's your take on Jesus? Was he just a trickster when he healed all those people? Or was he truly the author of life? This healed man holding Peter's hand is like, here, here's a healed man. You tell me. Is he the author of life? You see, it's never good to make judgments about Jesus that God disagrees with. For Luke, the answer is plain. Because they witnessed Jesus healing the lame and raising the dead in his own earthly ministry, and because they now understood that Jesus' death conquered sin, and because they witnessed his resurrection... And his ascension to God's right hand. Because they just witnessed this 40-year-old lame man leap into the temple. Like a deer, God glorified his servant Jesus. 
Jesus was bringing God's promises in Isaiah to pass. And guess what? You should put your faith in him true. Your, your faith in him too. You should trust him if you want life in the kingdom. The appeal isn't to put your trust in Jesus to receive immediate healing. Jesus is not a means to an end. The appeal is to let this healing in particular be another reason you trust in Jesus as the end. As your only hope. As the one who brings all and total healing. Jesus took care of our biggest problem. He died for our sins in order to bring us to God. For the Christian, that means the biggest problem is behind us. Every day in front of us anticipates glory and final healing and wholeness in the kingdom to come. The the lame man leaping is just a foretaste. Now, because of the way the health and wealth teachers take passages like this one, I want to use this as an opportunity to make a few clarifications in terms of, of healing. I can't help but notice that the apostles have no silver or gold when they heal this man. Nor do they ask him for any. I also can't help but notice that most everybody in the New Testament that heals somebody have no place to lay their head, get crucified, stoned, persecuted, thrown in jail for preaching Christ, or get treated like the scum of the earth. You see, God displays his power through weakness. That's what the gospel teaches us, at least the true one. The gospel advances through a suffering church, and that's a stark contrast to the prosperity teachers nowadays. There's healing power in the cross, amen, but the cross bids us come and die. Part of its healing power is the way it releases us from idolizing the treasures on this earth. The health and wealth teachers also have an over-realized eschatology. No, I didn't just speak in tongues. That's just a fancy way of saying they try to claim all of the blessings of the future kingdom right now. On demand. We can agree that the atonement brings healing. We've seen that today. In fact, we can agree that every kingdom blessing comes as a fruit of the atonement in some sense. But we can't say that the fullness of those blessings become ours on demand now. I don't see anybody naming and claiming their resurrection bodies. No, healings evidence Jesus' power and they prefigure the kingdom to come. Yes, we should expect for Jesus to heal people and pray for him to heal people. Healings are one characteristic, just one, of God's kingdom already breaking into the present. We see an example of it here in Acts 3. We'll see some more in Acts. It's foreshadowing this divine reversal of the kingdom to come. But we still live here. In the already not yet. The overlap of the ages. Christ's kingdom is already here and it's not yet fully here. If you will look just briefly at Acts chapter 3 verse 21. We get some clarification. We get some help here. It says that heaven must receive Jesus until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the prophets. The time for restoring all things isn't here yet. 
It's already here in that the king has come. He has died for our sins. He's carried away our sorrows. But the full experience of that is yet to come. Just because we get the benefits of forgiveness now and fellowship with God now and the fullness of the Spirit now doesn't mean everybody gets healed now. Some may get healed, but not in an ultimate sense. It's also true that God leaves some in their sickness and suffering to demonstrate His care and His glory and His sufficiency and power in other ways. His power doesn't have to be displayed only through immediate healing. Healings prefigure God's ultimate will for our bodies in the age to come. And in that sense, even a healing like this one, here with this this lame man, becomes hope for us all. Because it reveals God's ultimate concern with our bodies. We're not going to exist forever as disembodied spirits. We will have new bodies. If you have... Your sins taken away in Jesus, God will bring your body ultimately, ultimate healing at Jesus' return. Even better, it will be a new body. Untainted by sin, never perishing, no pains in the knees, no cancer, no cracks in the back, no obscure vision, no emotional chaos from this week to that. All disabilities made right. Everything will be functioning perfectly, remade, so that we will excel in our praise to God and in our joy-filled service to each other. That hope belongs to everyone who trusts that God has glorified His servant, Jesus. He bore our illnesses. He carried away our diseases. He will one day make us whole in His kingdom. If you happen to see someone healed... In Jesus' name, that's just a little window through which to be reminded that God will one day make all of us new. We'll all leap like a deer. You know, sometimes when we're suffering in this life, we, we can um, get into the, the struggle of it's always going to be this way. It's never going to get better. And I just want to say that is a lie from the enemy. It will not always be this way. And you've got to preach that to yourself. It will not always be that way. We will all leap like the deer. The deaf will hear. And it will happen when our Savior splits the skies and returns for us. Until that day we can also have hope that Christ's Spirit working in us now is the Spirit of restoration. The apostles are performing these miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you believe in Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. We don't yet see the final kingdom, but Paul calls everyone in Christ a new creation already. The Spirit is already doing this work in us. We've got all kinds of problems, not just physical ones. But the Spirit is already working new creation glories day by day as we behold Christ's glory. Because of Christ's finished work, we can trust the Spirit to turn right side up all that sin has turned upside down. So look to Him even until that day that Christ returns. 
This passage also gives us some perspective on ministry in the present, doesn't it? We don't need wealth to impact people's lives. Sometimes we get this impression that the apostles were like these superheroes. These guys were the scum of the earth. They were not high in society. But they had Jesus, and that's all that mattered. And that's what people notice about them. It's Jesus that has all power in heaven and on earth. He's the one God glorified. He possesses all wisdom and wealth and power. If we're walking with Jesus, we have all we need to make a difference, make an impact in the lives of others. In Christ, we're able to bring the presence and power of God to them through the glorified servant, Jesus. That doesn't mean we'll heal somebody. Perhaps we will, if God so chooses to use us in that way. But let's not forget all the other ways the Spirit, we see the Spirit working through the church in the New Testament. He produces faith and joy, unity in the church, worship. The Spirit inspires the, the witness of, of the people to, to all nations. Paul says there's a variety of gifts and services and activities that the Spirit inspires to, to the building up of the body, wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, service, leadership, teaching, mercy, generosity, and, and so on. There's, there's a whole list of others. And these two are Christ's power at work through His people. So don't ever think you can't do much for the kingdom without money, without power, without uh, worldly power, without, uh, without being in high places. God loves proving His power through weakness. All we need is Christ. And we also get a perfect example of how to turn whatever the Lord accomplishes through us to the praise of Christ or an opportunity to proclaim Christ. Not for one second do the apostles enjoy the attention for themselves. Now, they're not putting their thumb in their suspenders. Well, it was Jesus, but, you know, he used me. No, no, no. They deflect the glory and return it to the Lord. And they use it as an opportunity to preach Christ's cross, Christ's resurrection, Christ's glorified state. And we must follow their lead. Whenever God uses us. God uses us not to make much of ourselves, but to make much of Christ. The gospel of Jesus and His coming kingdom must remain central in the church. And in our life together and in our witness to the world. And we're reminded of that centrality of the gospel when we come to the Lord's Supper today. As we eat this bread and as we drink This cup, let us remember the suffering servant who died to give us fullness of life in his coming kingdom. True and ultimate healing comes through his wounds, 